Daniel, great book in the Old Testament, 12 chapters. Daniel lives through a period of five kings in Babylon. King 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And they are not godly kings. But Daniel chooses, in the midst of being taken captive, to follow after God and to pray and seek God. One of the things he wrote was this, as he saw a vision. It says, you, Daniel, chapter 12, verse 4, shut up the book and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. What's happened here for Daniel? He records what's going to happen at the end of time. This is our time. And he records in there that there is going to be people running to and fro. I think we are living right in that period of time right now. People are restless. They are going from place to place. There's a constant unsettlement deep within them. They are unsettled because of the, the world in which we live. It's a global pandemic. People are unsettled. And what is happening is people are going from place to place. We've just come back from Port Macquarie and we saw loads of caravans on the road. People have chosen to buy a caravan or to pull out their caravan and get on the road to get away from because they are inwardly restless. And the second thing that Daniel records is that knowledge will increase. Knowledge is now on an iPhone. It's so small, but you can check out what's happening in the North Pole and the South Pole. Type it in. We uh, just came back from Port Macquarie and we had Zoe sitting in our car with us. She did some of the driving, but she sat in the back seat and she navigated for us through some of the towns that we needed and she'd say, turn right or left. But then we needed a toilet, don't you, when you're travelling? She was able to type that in and figured out where the next toilet was, three streets down on the right or whatever. Knowledge shall increase. And so we are living in a world that's running to and fro, but it marks the end of time. We are living close to the end. And this morning I remember um, speaking to my oldest grandson, Josiah. He's here somewhere. Is he here somewhere? Uh, up there. Josiah visited us about a month ago and he came in and he said, Pa, what's God been saying to you lately? Um, I said two things. Number one, put roots down deeper into God. And number two, build stronger relationships. Deeper into God and relationships. Two things. Why? Because I feel we're heading into some rough water. I don't think it's all over yet. And I th feel that this morning we know that when a tree is planted, it's planted where roots can go down into the soil. If that tree is pulled out of the ground and sat on top, it will soon die. We've got to put our roots down deeper into God. We've got to be persistent in reading the Word. We've got to be persistent in prayer. Actually, when I do my or have my quiet time with the Lord in the morning, I like to read from the Word first so that God has the first say. 
and then I put my petitions to the Lord. It's just something that I've practiced and felt blessed by. But um, we're talking today about a relationship with God that is growing deeper. And we're talking about relationships with each other that's growing stronger. We need each other. We can't do the journey. Even Jesus didn't start his ministry till he had 12 men planted around him. He was set in their midst. He was established with their protection and their, their insight and wisdom. Jesus began when he had his relationships established. And I believe that Jesus taught a lot about that. He talked about the vine and the branches, how important it is that they be connected. We are branches that produce fruit, but we can't do it without connection. And it's the same as we walk together. We are all here today because God has pulled us together into relationships. You see, there's people here that have come from Zimbabwe, South Africa, way over there somewhere. And they've come and moved here, been here a few months. And they've joined and connected. You have come from somewhere. We came from Melbourne about five years ago. We didn't know a soul, really, in the church. But as soon as we arrived, we came, we connected. We wanted to meet people. We wanted to be in relationship. And I believe that we are called by him. He has planned that you are sitting next to a person today, like John Martin. You are sitting next to a person that is, is new, perhaps, to the church. But you have been sat there so that you can draw from them and do the journey of life even better because it's stronger. You know, I think there are two timelines in a way. We're very familiar with the timeline that we live day by day. The clock goes in the morning, we jump out of bed or get out of bed. We go to the breakfast table and have something to eat. We get in the car, we start our job when the clock says and we knock off. And we have this, we're very familiar with this timeline. But there's another one if we were to step forward. It's the eternal line. Pastor Andrew talked a little bit about eternity last Sunday. It's the eternal line which is quite different to the natural one. We're very familiar with the natural one. We work in it. We live in it. But there's another line. It's the eternal one. Now, you see, God's timetable is quite different to ours. We're very familiar with the timetable here. But when we get up here and we step into the presence of God, we find his timetable is not the same as ours. In fact, when Jesus ministered to Lazarus, this is a great example, Jesus was being familiarised with the natural. Oh, when he heard that Lazarus was sick and died, he said he just sleeps. And then he chooses to wait another two days before he goes to the tomb. Total four days. Four days, Mary and Martha come and said, oh, if only you'd have been here earlier, he wouldn't have died, but he's dead. Don't waste your time now. Jesus refuses to listen to the natural because he's engaged in this 
eternal. He's listening to the voice of the Father saying, I'll hold off for a couple of days. Four days later, he goes to the tomb and he speaks to the tomb. The, the, the stone is rolled away and Lazarus comes out alive. Different timetable. We need to learn to step forward into the timetable or the eternal line of God so that we are set and we are not moved by what's going on here. We get confused with everything here. We're sick one day and we don't know what we're doing and the job's just failed, money's run short, can't pay. But get up here. Get up here. Just walk here. That's it. That's why Paul said, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill what's going on back here. Walk in the Spirit. Keep standing in the Spirit. There's a scripture in Hebrews 12. It says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus. He's on this eternal line, looking unto Jesus. He knows what the plans are. He's got better plans than we can even think. And he will surprise us with his plans because Jesus is already on the eternal line, waiting for us to step toward him. My parents were Christians, and I was blessed to have Christian parents. My mum and dad both trained at a two-year course in a Bible college and then saw an application or an opportunity to go to Central Australia to work among the indigenous people. My parents decided to go because my dad had skills in breaking in horses and in looking after sheep and stock. And it was on that, those grounds that my dad was very familiar that he was accepted to go into that position. So the first four years of my life, I lived at this place called Ernabella Mission and my parents were involved in the Aboriginal work there. Then they moved to another mission station for 18 months. But at the age of 19 was when I gave my heart to the Lord. Even though I had Christian parents and they loved God, served God, great examples, I really didn't know God. I didn't have a relationship with him until then. A friend of mine gave me a cassette. Do you remember what they... Uh, I'm talking 50 years ago. Anyway, it was a little thing like that and you slipped it in and you pressed play. It was a message from a preacher and one of my mates gave me this to have a listen to. I remember listening to the tape at the end of which I found myself compelled to get on my knees by the side of the bed and give my heart to Jesus. He showed me his hands in my spirit. He showed me his nail-pierced hands and his nail-pierced feet. And he said, follow me. It's as clear today as it was then. So I began the journey of following the Lord. I gave the cassette back to my mate. Spotlighting was important to me at the age of 19. We had this monster of a machine built that could straddle trees and go 
over rabbit holes and, and spotlighting, shooting anything that moved except sheep. Uh, kangaroos, emus, foxes, rabbits. And it was quite often a Friday and Saturday nights, all night. And then we'd bring these animals home, skin them, sell the skins from the, what we could, get some money to pay for our ammunition. You know, it, but that night I heard the message on the cassette, stopped my future with spotlighting. Suddenly, I lost interest in it. We sold the machine and, and got rid of the, the guns. and it was, it was a chapter, but it was gone. It's never returned. I'm happy about it, but I don't, don't miss it. It's just changed. And um, there's things in your life, in your journey, that were quite consuming, suddenly change. Because the moment you step up, you no longer rely. You no longer need. You're no longer dependent upon what's going on back here. I remember after hearing that cassette, going with my mate to Adelaide. We lived about three hours from Adelaide. Went to a meeting in the heart of Adelaide. Got to the meeting on a Sunday night. It was a bit late. The place was packed. And the only seats were front row. And my mate and I found ourselves sitting in the front row where we could watch everything. He had given his heart to the Lord around the same time. Anyway, the service was underway and it was people clapping and it was all new to me, the excitement, enthusiasm. Then at the end there was a, an altar call for people to respond and there were about 20 people that came forward and they had prayer needs of needing healing all the way along the line until person number 19 said, I've got my daughter here who can't speak. She was nine years of age. And um, so the pastor announced it and the people reached out a hand and prayed for her. And I said to myself, if I hear her speak, I'll believe that God can do miracles. Well, I put this little bargain with God and just he and I understood that. And um, as they prayed, this girl began making sounds. And the father was beside himself. He, he couldn't speak into the microphone. Tears began to roll a miracle had happened. The next person, number 20, this man was eager to have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That sparked my attention. I was interested in that too. So the announcement was made to go to a room at the back and, and uh, to receive prayer. And I received prayer and received the baptism in the Holy That changed my life inwardly. Can we give it up for the Lord? A great clap for him. I'm sharing just a few little tips and points along the road of life and I hope they inspire and encourage you for where you're at. Um, I uh, realised that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was another feeling, input from God, a gift, a gift from him. I was blessed to work with a foreman in a steel engineering workshop for about one year. And uh, I noticed the way Bruce talked. Bruce listened. Bruce was a Christian man who loved God. And he took me under his wing, as it were. And I just basically observed how he did life. He was a good welder. He could cut steel. He was very gifted. And my job was just basically chipping welds and painting. Uh, young, 19 years of age. 
uh, trying to figure out how to work. And um, Bruce would go in the lunchroom and if the conversation was getting a little bit smutty, he would swing it back. He seemed to be able to read what the conversations were in the lunchroom and how to have influence and fact gather respect. And I was inspired by Bruce. I started putting Bible verses over the glove box of my car because I wanted to learn the scriptures because I saw Bruce did that in his car. And things like that began to inspire. Can I say, we need to put our roots down deeper, but we also need relationships to grow stronger. Cannot do it on our own. It's a bit like cutting off the hand and throwing it over there and hoping that the hand will still live. It's got to be attached. It's got to be strong. It's got to be secure. It's got to be a part of the whole body. That's why we need to be not to forsake the gathering together. We need, we need it more, more and more. So there's other scriptures here I would like to share this morning, but I want to move on to talking about the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. And this has become a centerpiece in my life for all these 50 years as a, as a Christian. Um, I'd like to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. And if you've got it on your device or your Bible, I'd like you to circle it. In fact, I'd like to give you some homework this week. Read it once a day at least, every day of the week. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 8. Lock it in your memory, take it home and read it. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engages in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember Jesus Christ. Paul starts off in verse 1. He's assuming that he is fathering Timothy. Not biological, but in spirit. Timothy has got his Paul, and Paul has got his Timothy. And Paul is aware that Timothy has needs. Timothy's a young pastor of a church in Ephesus. And he's struggling a bit, particularly as you look at the rest of the chapter, of chapter 1. He struggles with fear, for one. And he says, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And so fear has got to go, Timothy. And so Paul is addressing issues that he notices in the life of Timothy. And I love what he says. He says right from the bat, be strong in the grace, some translations, in the strength that is in, 
not your grandmother, and he, he writes about his grandmother being a Christian, not your mother, his mother's a Christian too, but be strong in the strength that's in when it all shakes out, when everybody's left, everybody's abandoned, everyone's gone, you are standing alone. Be strong in the strength that's in Christ Jesus. There's only one. He's the only one that will sustain you. Your friends will do you well and your pastors will do the best they can. But there's only one. If you go out of this place today with your eyes fixed, in fact, Paul says in somewhere else, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes where they need to be. Don't be entangled, especially young people, with the lusts of the flesh. Step off that up onto that line again and stay there where you are secure in the eternal rock of ages, God himself. Yep. Number two, verse two. And the things that you've heard from me, pass them on to other faithful, reliable men. In other words, not just for you, Timothy, but you've got to give it away. And I feel an urgency in my spirit, probably because I'm getting a little older, to pass it away more and quicker and, and pass it off. Uh, what you have discovered and learned, it's not just for you, Ian. You've got to stand alongside some others and strengthen their commitment to fix their eyes on Jesus. Yeah, it will work. They will be strong. I remember living, uh, when, when we lived in the Riverland years ago, that we lived not far from the River Murray. And the River Murray flowed down through Renmark, Berry, Barmer, all the way on to Adelaide to supply water for Adelaide. It starts way up in the top end of New South Wales and fl flows to Murrumbidgee all the way down. So the river lived, uh, was close to where we lived. I remember one day going to have a look inside a pump that was delivering water to irrigate the fruit industry in the Riverland. Giant pumps screamed loud, massive units that could lift the water out of the riverbed and shoot it down these very wide channels. And they would go for kilometres and then to smaller channels, then to sub-sub-channels. And the water was distributed far and wide. And then it came to the property owner who had his rows of vines or fruit trees and it was up to him then to open the gate and to release water to shoot it down these furrows to, to the bottom end of the rows. Then in the middle of the night he would get up and go to the end of those rows and check back to see whether the water had made the distance along the rows. If it had, he would send it down some other rows. Paul is saying, Timothy, what you have got must go out, must be distributed so that fruit will come at the end of the furrow. Fruit. We have been created to provide fruit. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, what you have learned, pass on to other faithful men. Pass it on. And then he uses three examples from life. The first one, soldier. You therefore must endure hardship as a soldier, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's not for the faint-hearted. 
I remember saying to my brother-in-law on the phone a few months back, I said, very few people become Christians perhaps because it's too hard. It's far easier to just sit down and drink coffee or whatever and let the world go. Uh, this is, this is frontline and we're all called to it. We're called to stand. We're called to be a soldier. A soldier is committed even when there's harm around. And he knows if he's got to stay up or he's listening to his com commander. And the commander is saying to him, put this armour on. We're going out. Paul possibly was chained to a soldier in prison. Paul doesn't know how long he's got to live. And he's making the most of getting this letter off to Timothy, even though he's in prison. It's hard work. But the willingness to, to suffer, willingness to take on orders from a commander, Jesus himself, and to take the blows, uh, to being a leader in your family, to be strong, men, to be standing up and protecting your family, guiding your family. If you've done it once, do it again. If you've told them something once, tell them again. You've, that's the way it works. And, and you'll see the separation from the world begin to happen in your children and in your grandchildren and in your friends and in your workplace. Second, athlete. An athlete trains well. I've been around to the mock house and they're carrying out these bags of cricket gear and they're going off to training two nights a week, I think. Then they play on a... Is that right, Levi? Then a Saturday, it's the real game. and uh, It's uh, an athlete. They, they run, they train, they do the laps around the oval. Uh, I struggle to do that. But don't do what I'm saying, do what I'm telling you. I mean. <laughs> so an athlete is, is wholly absorbed. You, you see the champions that go off to the Olympics. They start their training years before, some of them, and they're still training right up to the day they depart to go and compete. And... Paul is saying to Timothy, be, be persistent. Don't quit. Don't lie down. Get up. And, um, and I'm just going to finish with this last one. It's the farmer. We're very familiar with farmers in this community. Farmers, I think it was Simon that said something about during harvest, you don't repair stuff. You've just got to be focused on getting the harvest in. And, and the harvest is important. Farmers do what all they do all year to get a harvest. And Paul is saying to Timothy, look at the farmer and describes him as hardworking. Hardworking farmer must be the first to receive from the crop or from the harvest. And so he does. Paul knew how to give it all he could and uh, to pay the price. You know, for each of us, the roots must go down deeper and the relationships must grow stronger. We are to guard each other, protect each other, care for each other, love on each other, and encourage each other. Look, the list is endless, and that's what we are called to do. Church, let us stand to our feet. There may be someone here this morning and you're saying, I don't know the Lord like you do. You can. 
He is ready to be received by you. He waits at the door and knocks. He's knocking at some hearts this morning. I want to encourage you to open the door. Really, what have you got to lose? Let's open the door and allow Jesus to come in and settle in your heart. He will make all the difference in your life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Nothing compares with the life, especially when you step up and you discover there's more here than you'll ever be able to take in, walking with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for this time of listening to your voice, hearing your voice, and following your instructions. Father, I pray that there might be those here today who know not you as they can. But Father, encourage them by your spirit to open their hearts and to walk through the door and find your presence and peace. Maybe as our heads are bowed this morning, if you are that person, you are feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit, you are feeling the presence of God around you, and today you want to choose to follow him. Can I encourage you just to lift your hand? It's a sign, yes, but it's a sign to say, yes, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to walk with you. I want to walk on the eternal line. If that's you, would you lift your hand so that we can pray for you? Church, would you pray this prayer after me? Dear God, I thank you for your love that took you to the cross to pay for my sin. Today, I turn to you and seek your face to be obedient to your voice, to love you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have responded that way, please come and see us after the service today. And may the Lord bless you as you continue on the journey with him. Bless you.